This is Revive Chicago. Listen and be changed. Today we're going to talk from the book of Colossians. So we've been stuck in the Gospels for the last five weeks. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it there. Um, I preached extra long sermons. It was was different for me. Like I hadn't been, I I went back and looked at the podcast and like my usual sermons are like 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes on the long side. And then these are like an hour 20. I was like, whoa. (laughs) And uh, it reminded me of my days in the ministry school, like when I was teaching, because we had 90 minute classes. And so I was like, I would teach for 90 minutes. And then every once in a while, they would give me back-to-back classes. And so I would teach one class for 90 minutes on the kingdom of God. And then I would go teach another class on the prophetic for the next 90 minutes. I was like, man, I just taught for three hours straight. It's like, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get there. Maybe I'll build up your endurance. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine inviting people to a church like, my pastor preaches for three hours. <laughs> People are like, Endgame wasn't even that long. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to be Colossians chapter 2 and 3, and we're kind of on the precipice between the two uh, chapters. And just a reminder, the chapters, the verses, were made up and added later, right? So we can't let that stop us from getting the context and kind of fleshing things out. And so we're going to go and read. And um, if you're following along on your phones... I'm actually reading from a different translation today. Um, I usually go from the NIV just to keep it consistent. But this week I am in the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. So if you want to change it on your phone to that version to follow along a little better, you can. Um, And I just felt like this one said it a little more clearly. This is a passage that... um, People don't argue about, people don't talk about this one too much. And so we'll, be in cha- we'll start in chapter 2, verse 16. And Paul's talking, I'm probably going to just read the whole little section. And then like I do, we'll go back and mine it. So chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink, or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is in you, uh, sorry, when Christ who is your life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. This is quite the mouthful. Some of you are like, I'm not sure what all these words mean. But 
we're going to go through and kind of unpack this a little bit and talk. I'm going to try and explain why this is important to understand as well. Okay? So when you read a verse and it says, therefore, what does that usually mean? Like if somebody just gets up and they talk, they're talking to you or they introduce, say they introduce yourself, themselves for the first time. They're like, hi, my name is Aaron. Therefore, and they just go on this spiel. Like, you can be like, what a, what a weirdo. Like, who just starts off a sentence with a weirdo? Or, sorry, with weirdo. Who's, <laughs> I can't talk today. Uh, if, who just starts off a sentence with, therefore, with no prior context? But sometimes we jump into scripture on the therefore and then just proceed. And we don't really realize, like, what's going on? What's, what's the context here? What's happening? And so, in, Colo- in Colossae, this, is, this was a book written to the Colossian church. And in Colossae... There was a group of Christians that were being influenced by, Jew, you would call them mystical Jews. And so they believed in a life of asceticism and severe self-debasement and uh, extreme fasting in order to be holy. And so they, were, they had come to Colossae and they were trying to convince the church, like, no, this is how you really please God. And... It's, it's one of those difficult conversations because Paul's talking to them and teaching them. He's, like, he's, not, he's not trying to say that observing these things is necessarily bad or wrong, but he's saying that observing these things isn't going to help you with your walk with God. Okay? So we start out, he says, Therefore, don't let anyone condemn you in matters of food or drink or of observing festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. And most of us in here are Gentiles, so we were like, God, I don't, I don't have any temptation to celebrate new moons and Sabbaths, right? Like, we don't have that in our culture. It's not built in. But I've actually met other Christians. I've met other, um, other Christian groups. They start to preach this. They start to dig into the word, and they start to teach that we need to go back and start fulfilling the Old Testament law. And so there's teachings going around, even now. I just had a conversation with a good friend in Kansas City that, started getting super into this, and they, started, they feel like they're supposed to start observing the Sabbath. And now you're not supposed to go to church on Sunday. You're supposed to go to Sabbath is on Saturday. You're supposed to do all of these things, observe the Old Testament, uh, like the patterns of the Old Testament law. You're supposed to observe those festivals and holidays. Christmas is out. Easter's out. Like those are pagan holidays. And they, they start like getting really legalistic. And they start teaching rules and regulations. And you're not really Christian if type the illusions, right? And if you really knew your Bible, you would, you'd be observing the Sabbath day. And you'd be observing this and you'd be observing that. And so they make you feel bad or they make you feel less than because you're not following the rules and the regulations that the Bible, they claim the Bible teaches. And then they go to the book of Leviticus. They go to the book of Numbers and they point to you chapter and verse and tell you, this. see, this is how God set it up. And so then you're confused. And maybe some of you are earlier on in your walk with Jesus and you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do here? Like, this sounds like, how do I argue with this? What am I supposed to do? And Paul is giving freedom to the church in Colossae because they're a group of Gentile believers. They're brand new believers. Okay? And he's telling them, you don't have to go back and start to understand the law because the Jews weren't saved by the law themselves. In fact, it didn't keep them from rejecting Jesus. 
right? Like Jesus came, the book of John says, Jesus came to those who were his own, and his own did not receive him. So if the new boons and Sabbaths are so good, why did you need Jesus? Right? If observing some kind of uh, regulation, if fasting, just like if you're not fasting once a week, you're not holy. That's the kind of stuff that they were pushing on these people. And they were making people feel bad, or they were pushing asceticism is, uh, the, that word means extreme. And it's a type, it's a lifestyle. So it would have been extreme fasting. Like fasting for seven days. Fasting for 21 days. But you've got to do that multiple times a year, or you're not really holy. You're not really pursuing Jesus. If you really, if you want to get visions and dreams, then you've got to be fasting. That's the only way God's pleased. And so there was this teaching that was starting to get pushed on the church in Colossae about how to serve God. And you have to follow these rules. You have to observe these special Sabbaths. You've got to follow the new moon patterns, etc. And they had mixed, get this, they had mixed paganism and Judaism. Because what did, what did the pagans teach? The pagans taught that in order to please God, you had to, sacri- you had to do something, Right? Like, obviously, the Jews also did sacrifices, but they weren't trying to manipulate their gods. The pagans were trying to manipulate their gods, to appease their gods. And so they would, they would throw their children into the fire if that brought rain for their crops. Like, crazy stuff. And so Paul here is undermining that teaching that's becoming pervasive. And I'm doing this sermon, maybe some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never had any of this pushed on me. But If you go online, if you listen to preachers, if you listen to other Christians, even in the area that you run into, some of them are going to push on you a certain lifestyle, a certain mentality. There's groups, even around here, that you run into, and they're going to tell you, you can't can't observe Christmas. That's not really Christian. And so they argue over days and holidays. They argue over festivals. They argue over which day you worship, whether it's Saturday or Sunday. How many of you have heard of the Seventh-day Adventists? Right? Like they, they'll sit and argue with you over what day you're supposed to worship. And Paul says, verse 17 now, these are only a shadow of what is to come. The substance belongs to Christ. So, if we sit here and we argue about the shadows, whether we worship on Saturday or Sunday, or whether you fast three days or eight days, and how holy you are, and we're arguing over these things, which is what Christianity does, what are we doing? We're missing the substance, which is Christ. It's Christ. We sang that song today. Christ and Christ crucified. He's the center of it all. And the Bible teaches elsewhere that Jesus is the one who did all the work. He's the one, he died on the cross and what did he say? It is finished. So what do you think you're doing? Like why? You think you're good enough to finish something? Like there's something more to be finished. Like you haven't finished enough by fasting one extra day. You're going to do more than what Jesus did. You know what I mean? Like it's almost this absurd thing that you, you, have, you can do enough to please God. You can, you can get it on just the right day. 
You can fast just the right amount of time. If, you, if you're reading your Bible, you have to read eight chapters every day. And it, like, it turns into some kind of bondage thing. It's like, I just want you to read your Bible. Because that's how you get to know Jesus, who is what? The substance of it all. I'm not trying to put this rule and regulation and say you're not holy. Because guess what? If you're reading the book of Psalms, you can probably blow through eight chapters in one sitting. Like Ten minutes and you'll read eight chapters. Unless you hit Psalm 119 and then you'll be stuck for a while. <laughs> for those of you who didn't laugh, that was, that's the longest chapter in the Bible. <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean? Like Paul is saying, you're arguing about the shadows. You're already arguing about days and regulations and fasting. As if that somehow, and, and what does he say? Verse 18, we're, we're mining this out, right? Do not let anyone disqualify you. I bet every single one of you in this room has at times felt disqualified. You felt disqualified from serving Jesus. You felt disqualified for doing your job. Like you felt like there's probably various areas where you have felt disqualified. Maybe by someone else. Maybe in your own mind. But you felt disqualified. And what does Paul say? The substance is Christ. You guys have heard the line. He qualifies the called. Most of the, like all of us, by, by just the fact that we're alive. Scripture says elsewhere again, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. You all are unqualified. Just own it. You're all unqualified. You all don't measure up. That's what the Bible teaches. But because we don't measure up, Christ came and died, and he qualified you. You are now qualified, not because of something you did, but because of something he did. The qualification comes in what he accomplished on the cross, not on something that you did in the past or that's something you will do in the future. There's nothing that you can do that's going to please God more or less than right now. You're pleasing to him. You are known to him. He wants to be connected with you. Why? He sent his son and showed that. Example. He sent his son to die. Jesus is the substance of it all. So then if we're going to sit and argue about days and holidays, like, oh, you're going to go to hell if you go to, like, observe Christmas? Like, how silly is that? If you think about it, like, you're observing Christmas, a day to celebrate Jesus coming to earth. And there's groups of people that will teach that you're going to hell or you're sinning for doing that. Why? Because they're arguing over the shadows and missing the substance, which is Christ. So don't let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement. There's groups within religion that say that you have to posture yourself a certain way. You, can, you have to pray, bowing down on your knees. You have to be lying prostrate. You have to fast a certain amount of time. They were even teaching the worship of angels. Dwelling on visions. And they became puffed up without cause, Paul says, by a human way of thinking. Now, how many of you in this room, like if you had a vision and you saw angels and you saw heaven open, 
like you're going to feel pretty good about yourself for like you like there's something about having a vision that kind of makes you feel more holy. <laughs> like wow, I saw heaven. But Paul says that if you get caught up in that and that's all your focus is on getting this vision, on seeing this vision, and that's your standard for holiness, you're missing the substance which is Christ and you're allowing other people you're you're going to make other people feel disqualified. And you're going to end up puffed up and it's a human way of thinking. That's so crazy because we would think of someone who has visions, who has dreams, etc. as someone who's more holy, who's more spiritual. And Paul says, if that's your basis, if that's your threshold, that's actually a human way of thinking. That's a human approach to stack up and be like, how many visions have you had this week? Well, I had 18. You know what I'm saying? Because if we, if we get into this battle, we're, again, we're arguing over the shadow, but we're also making it a hierarchy. And so suddenly, my, my pastor didn't have a vision this week, but I had three. And then we're arguing over who's more spiritual. As if I'm up here because I'm so spiritual. I'm up here because Jesus saved me, just like Jesus saved you. This is my call. I'm walking in my purpose. You all have your call. You have your purpose. Someday it might be up here leading, speaking. But for now, in this season, this is what God has called me to. I'm up here walking in my call, not because I'm so holy or because God's deemed me somehow better than you. I don't have to sit here and try to get a bunch of visions and dreams just to be the pastor. In fact, I hope that you have more visions and dreams than me. I want a spiritual church. But I don't want a spiritual church who's arguing over whose dreams mean more, who has the better visions, or who had more of them. Because then we're missing the substance, which is Christ. So having dreams, having visions, are those a good thing? Absolutely. As long as you're not missing the substance which is Christ, as long as you're not getting puffed up about it, as long as you remain humble, as long as you submit it to the word. Because guess what? Worship of angels, that's off. Paul's clear about that here. We don't worship angels. We worship Jesus. Verse 19. And, ho- and not, so in the context then, he's saying, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. What is he talking about there? What Ligaments and sinews, right? Like, we get lost in that language sometimes, but it's a poetic way of saying the growth of the body, which is what? Us, the church. We are that body that's supposed to grow. Why? Because we're submitted to the head, which is Christ. So if we get caught up in those things that we deem disqualifying and we get caught up in visions and dreams and worship of angels and dwelling on visions and getting puffed up, what are we doing? We're disconnecting ourselves from Jesus, the head. Why? We would think, like, in our own mind, I'm like, if I'm having visions and dreams, like, doesn't that connect me more to Jesus? But what's Paul's point? He's saying it's disconnecting you from the head who is over the whole body, who nourishes and causes it to grow. Who is the body? The body is us. We are what? The body of Christ. The body of Christ submits to the head, 
He's in charge. So we would think by having dreams, by having visions, etc., that somehow we're more connected to Jesus. But what does it do when we're pushing those disqualifications on other people? It's causing us to ignore the body. It's causing us to create dissension in the body. And so suddenly, if I'm so focused on what I think is Jesus, that I'm keeping myself at arm length from you, or I'm offending you, or I'm neglecting the growth of the body, I'm falling into this trap. The point of the head being over the body is that the body grows and is nourished. And what does he say? With a growth that is from God. If you're having visions and dreams, what should it be for? It should be for the body, not for yourself. Will you have dreams, visions, prophecies that sometimes edify yourself? Absolutely. Right? But the point of generally having those experiences isn't for you, and it isn't for you to make someone else feel bad. It's for you to build up the body with what? Growth that is from God. If we're going to grow, I want a spiritual people who's having visions, who's having dreams, but why are they having them? So that they can be more spiritual and viewed as more spiritual? Or are they having them for the growth of the body, for the encouragement of the body, to build them up? Why? Because the substance is Christ, not my position. So if Christ died, verse 20, for, uh, sorry, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you still live as if you belong to the world? Oh, that's heavy. <laughs> Christ died to set you free of the elemental forces of this world. And so much of the time, we get bogged down in the elemental forces of this world. And we let culture dictate things. And we let ourselves feel disqualified because we think we don't measure up. Paul says you're free of that. Christ died to set you free of that. If you're in him, you're free of that. Why are you still being bothered by the elemental forces of this world? Why are you still getting pulled into political arguments? Why are you still getting pulled into religious arguments about what day we worship or how we worship? The substance is supposed to be Christ. He's at the center of it all. So why do we still live as if we belong to the world. We're supposed to rise above that. I shouldn't be bogged down by the same things in life that everybody else is bogged down in. And neither should you. You don't have to participate in every argument that you're invited to. You know? Paul says, why do you submit to regulations to do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Right? And look at, look at modern America. Everything is don't do this, don't do that. People, Christians get it, they get saved and they're like, I've been freed from the law. I don't have to live according to the law. Guess what? There's only like 600 laws in the Old Testament. Do you know how many are in the American Code? And yet we claim to be the freest nation in the world. Like, just the tax law alone has way more than 600. 
Do you see the incongruency there? Like we've created this idea in our mind that in America we're free, but we have all of these regulations. And then somehow in Christianity, we got freed of Jewishness. And so then we set ourselves over and against the Jews as if we're better somehow. And we're arguing over regulations like don't taste, don't touch, don't handle that. And Paul's like, we should have moved on from that. Do you realize, like, even just the, notice that, do not taste, do not touch. What does that make you think of? My first thought, Genesis, in the garden, Adam and Eve. Right? Don't taste, don't taste the fruit of that tree. And what does Eve say? Don't even touch it. And that's what we do. We get bogged down in the details and we create laws and regulations and we make it so that, like, don't even get close to it. Don't touch it or you'll be a sinner. And Paul's like, why are you submitting to these regulations? Why are you going back to the past? Jesus set you free. He's the substance. He's the beginning and the end of it all. Verse 22. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. It's temporary. Guess what? 100 years from now, 200 years from now, the American code of law is going to look very different. But what are Americans sitting doing now? On Facebook, on Twitter, on all the socials, what are they doing? They're arguing over regulations and laws and what should be and what shouldn't be. And us Christians fall into that trap. We fall for it. We get pulled into these arguments and we get divided over what day we worship and how we worship and how long we fast and who's more holy. And Paul's telling the church in Colossae all the way back 2,000 years ago, you're getting lost in the weeds. You're missing the point. The substance is Christ. To know him, to be part of his body. That's how you grow. If you want to grow in Christ, stop getting caught up in all the laws, the rules, the regulations and pursue him, the person. The relationship. He's the substance of it all. All these other regulations, they're going to perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. And I read a line like that, and I think of another line. In the Old Testament, in fact, let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Isaiah 29, verse 13. It says this, The Lord said, Because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is a human commandment learned by rote. It's just human teachings. That's, guess what? That's from the Old Testament. They were talking about the laws, the commands, all the way back in the Old Testament. And the things that we get pulled into and argue over, if you're missing the heart of the matter, you're missing the whole thing. And so so much of the time as Christians, we look down on people who don't think right, who don't act right, who, like, they're not doing it the way we think they should be doing it. Oh, you worship on Saturday? Well, I worship on Sunday. 
Like we're in danger of doing the exact same things, right? The Seventh-day Adventists look down on us because we worship on Sunday. We look down on the Seventh-day Adventists because they worship on Saturday. It's like, wait, I thought the whole point of this was Christ. Can you worship and connect with God on Saturday? Yes, absolutely. Why are you getting caught up on the day? Scripture says that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. Jesus fulfilled it. He is the Sabbath. Scripture says in Hebrews that he is our Sabbath rest. So if you're in him, it's almost like the day doesn't matter. Guess what? If you're caught, you become a prisoner of war, and you don't know what day it is, pick one and worship him. You know what I mean? Like, is that person that doesn't even know what day it is, they think it's Sunday, but it's actually Tuesday? Can they still know Jesus and worship him? Absolutely. We're missing it. We're caught caught up on the wrong thing. We're arguing over regulations. We're arguing over laws. And we're missing the substance that is Christ. And so we, we come to church. And that's what we preach, too. Too often we preach, don't touch that. Don't taste that. When really we should be preaching Jesus. And if you, if you really got Jesus, you're not going to touch that. You're not going to taste, you know what I mean? Like the things that the Bible says are sin, like if you're close to Jesus, you're not going to fall into the trap of sin. And then it, it makes the whole argument a, a moot point. But we focus on the arguments. We focus on the days. We focus on the regulations. And we miss that they're just simply human commands and teachings. As your pastor, I don't want to get up here and just teach you human commands. I want to push you to the heart of the matter, to the substance. I want to push you to Jesus. Because the closer you get to Jesus the better off you're going to be in every way, the better, our, the more healthy our body is going to be. And I'm not going to have to sit here and get up every Sunday and shame on you, shame on you, because that's not going to change anything. We've got centuries of guilt from centuries of age-old religion that are teaching human commands. What if we could have a church that was free of human commands and focused on the heart and substance of the matter and said, I want Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to be connected to Jesus. If you get to the heart of the matter, then the days don't matter. And really then, the day, the reason we worship on Sunday is because it's one of the days you all have off and we can schedule it ahead of time. You know what I mean? Like why do we worship on Sunday then? Because it's a day that works for all of us. We can set it aside within our culture. We can set it aside and we can all gather together. Why do we have, why do we have our Bible study set for Wednesday night? Because it works for the good majority of the people. But you know what? I'm not opposed to having it on another night. If I get enough people to do a Bible study on another night, I'll do it on another night. Because I'm not going to argue over the day. I just want to push people to Jesus. I don't want to get caught up in simply human commands and teachings. Verse 23, these have an appearance of wisdom 
in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body. But they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. Wow. Having the appearance of piety. I don't want people to just think that I'm pious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, like if, if I start talking about like, yeah, I fast once a week and da 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 and I start talking about that kind of stuff, what do people start to assume? Oh, this person's like really devoted. This person's really, and I, I'm not, if, okay, if you're in a season and God's been asking you to fast once a week, please know that's not what I'm talking about today. <laughs> right? Like if God's led you to do that, then all you need to do is check your heart on the matter. Why am I doing this? God told me to. It's been leading me deeper to him. Perfect. Right? It's not something taught by man. It's not a human teaching. It's not something that I roped you all into and said, this is what it looks like. This is how it has to be or you're not a real Christian. And too much of the time, we've just settled for self-imposed piety, for a false humility, instead of the real thing, the real Jesus. We've settled for the appearance of religiosity without having the depth. The real Jesus. That's what I want. I want the real Jesus. I don't want the appearance of it. And there's ways to look holy. Like I've joked with you guys about this before. But like, why do you close your eyes when you pray? Why do you fold your hands when you pray? Because in our modern society, that's what it looks like to be holy. Right? So you go into a religious setting, and what do people do? They take on this kind of reverence posture, right? Where they pray at the end of a service and they say, all right, everybody bow your head, close your eyes. And nobody questions it, even non-believers. Like they're like, oh, this is what you do. This is what religious people do. But did you know, I've talked about this before, it's not in here. There's not a single chapter or verse that says, bow your head to pray. That teaches it. There's not a single verse that says, fold your hands when you pray. It's not taught in the Bible. So what are we doing? We're following a command and a regulation taught by men. And we've fallen into a trap of the appearance of holiness, the appearance of piety, self-abasement. What does that mean? You're taking on a posture that's demeaning to your body. It's, it's saying, my body, I can't control it, so I have to fold it up. I can't control my eyes, so I have to close them and shut out the world. It's just a posture. Now, is that posture in and of itself bad or wrong? No. No. Pray, if, if, if you want to pray that way, if you connect to Jesus that way, pray that way. But know that that's not what I'm teaching you. You can pray with your eyes wide open. To me, that kind of makes it sound like you're expecting something to happen when you pray. You know what I mean? But see how easy, how, how small and insignificant it is when we talk about regulations taught by men and they just creep in through our culture and we just follow it without thinking, without questioning. Why does everybody do this? Why when you go to church do you close your eyes, bow your head, and fold your hands? Why? And then you point it out and you're like, 
yeah, why do we do that? Like, this is ridiculous. I've just been falling into this charade my whole life. And that's the kind of stuff that Paul's pointing to. He's not saying that they're bad in themselves. He's just saying that the whole reason that you've done it is that you're falling into commands taught by men. And you've missed the heart of the matter. How many people, how many churches gathered today, today's Sunday, how many churches gathered today and did exactly that? They folded their hands, they bowed their head, they closed their eyes. And some of them really connected with God when they did it. And that makes me happy. But how many thousands took on the posture, followed the regulations, and had no connection to Jesus? Probably plenty. Right? They've fallen into the trap. This is what it looks like to be pious, so this is what I'm going to do. And that's what Paul's questioning here. That's what he's pushing back against. And that's what, as, as a church, as a Revive Chicago, we've got to push back against some of those cultural things. Where we're not just mindlessly falling into the trap. Guess what our traps are? In worship, we're a very hand-raising church. Right? And I bet some of you in here lifted your hands and sang the words and didn't connect to Jesus during certain moments. And I bet at other moments, you lifted your hands and you meant every ounce of strength that it took to do that. You can fall into the same traps. You're like, I'm not trying to just criticize old-time religion. I'm crit- this criticism has to fall on us, too. You can, you can sing loud, you can jump around, you can lift your hands, and you can be falling into commands taught by men. That's not what we want. We want to connect with Jesus. He's the substance of it all. He's the center of it all. If I lift my hands in worship, it's because I want to connect with him. If I fold my hands in worship, it's because I want to connect with him. I don't want to just mindlessly go through the motions or do what I'm told to do because I was told to do it. I want to connect with him on the things that the Bible says. And it's so crazy. Paul says, these things have no value in checking self-indulgence. Too much of the time, we fall into these patterns where we, we create these laws and rules under ourselves to try and keep the self-indulgence in check. And he's saying extreme living, self-imposed piety, false humility, none of those things do anything at keeping your self-indulgence in check. Whew, that'll preach. Good thing I'm the one with the mic. <laughs> so then, verse, th- verse 1 of chapter 3. So then, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Ha <laughs> ha. So, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. We get caught up seeking the revelation, seeking the regulation that's going to get us better connected, that's going to qualify us, that's going to make us look a little bit more holy. But we've got to strip away all the appearances and come back to Christ. Think about Christ. Seek Christ. Focus on what's above. That's hard to do. Like, let's just be honest. 
every one of you, this is not some like crazy revelation to you. You've heard it before. You've read it before. This isn't like some like, dude, that blew, that blew my mind. I'm supposed to think on things above. Like you all know that. We all know this. But it's so difficult to do. Why? Because there's things that you are facing right now on a human level. There's things that you're going to go home to. That you're going to face. You have to get in your car. You have to drive. You have to read. You have to, you have to go through life. It's a battle just to look up, just to focus on Jesus. Sometimes that's, that's it. Like It's not half the battle. That is the battle. Not focusing on your circumstances. Not focusing on what's going on all around you or who's around you and what they're speaking. That's the battle. It's difficult. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. But here's one of the keys to that. How do you do that? How do you set your mind on that? For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so you weren't necessarily mind blown about think on things above, but this is a little bit mind blowing. You have died. That's the language of scripture. You're dead. The competition, the anger, the keep up with the Joneses, all of the voices, all of the culture, you've died to those things. You're dead. Like picture yourself, like it's a it's weird picture almost, but like picture yourself in the casket, casket for a second. Like there's nothing you need, like in the casket, there's nothing you need. There's nothing that you can take with. There's no need to impress. There's just nothing. It's over. The life is over. But you know what? You have died, but your life is hidden in Christ. So you're dead to sin, dead to the regulations. You don't have to fulfill anything. You don't have to live up to anything. You don't have to please anybody. Like, you know that line where people are like, you're dead to me. Like, what if, what if you started telling the devil that? Like, you're dead to me. What if you started telling all of the things that you indulge in, all the, thing, the regulations, the things, like, it's dead to me. I don't have to get caught up in those things. I don't have to get pulled into those arguments. I don't have to get pulled into those regulations. It's dead to me. It's over. I'm alive in Christ. I'm a new person. And so much of the time, the Christianity has done us this disservice because we've got this idea that we have to wait until heaven, until we actually die, and then everything's going to be better. But Paul's talking now. You're dead now to those things and alive in him, hidden in Christ, there's a hiddenness. The secret place. That's the key. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Christ is the life. You are dead. The life in you is now supposed to be him. It's supposed to be him living through you. 
his life force. It's like he's animating your body. As if he wasn't anyway. Because scripture says elsewhere, right? Think of what it says in the book of Hebrews, that all things are held together by him and for him and through him. Right? Like, before you knew Jesus, you were held together by him. The breath in your lungs was from him. But now you have a revelation. You know Jesus, and you've actually, you're choosing. I'm going to die to myself, to the ways that I think, to the human teachings taught by men. I'm dying to all of those things, all of those arguments, all of those regulations. I'm dead to them. And now the life I live is in him. How do you do that? You stay hidden in him. You stay connected to him. You let him become the substance of all things. And if you will do that, Christ, who is your life, is then revealed, and you will be revealed with him in glory. This is so awesome. And this message is bigger than me or anything that I could articulate. This is a message that you've got to get a revelation of, kind of on your own. Like, I hope I'm putting it in a way that you can grab hold of it and wrestle through some of these things, that it becomes like a a platform for you to leap off of. But this is one of those messages that I can't just spoon feed you. You've got to take it on yourself. You've got to choose to stop arguing over regulations. Getting caught up in arguments about the day, the hour, when we worship, when we sing, when, when we celebrate a, a festival or a holiday. You've got to choose to stop being caught up in those things. To pull back from those arguments. And to just let love in. Because that's how you get the glory revealed. And so as I close today, I wanted to read it one more time all together with some of the context that we fleshed out. And I want to read it in a different translation. So if you want, if you're on your phones again, it's really easy to just turn over. I'm going to read it from the message. And Eugene Peterson just has a way of wording it that I think helps us grab hold of it even more. And so he says, Don't put up with anyone pressuring you in details of diet, worship services, or holy days. All these things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. Don't tolerate people who try to run your life, ordering you to bow and scrape insisting that you join their obsession with angels and that you seek out visions. There are a lot of hot air. That's all they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of life, Christ, who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow through us. He is the head. We are the body. We can grow up healthy in God only as he nourishes us. So then, if with Christ you've, all, you've put all that pretentious An infantile religion. This is so well worded, right? If you've put aside all of that pretentious and infantile religion behind you, why do you continue to let yourselves be bullied by it? Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't go near this. 
Do you think things that are here today and gone tomorrow are worth that kind of attention? Such things sound impressive if said with a deep enough voice. I love that. They even give the illusion of being pious and humble and ascetic, but they're just another way of showing off and making ourselves look important. So, verse 1 of chapter 3, So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. We've got to stop fighting our battles from an earth to heaven perspective and start to realize that we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places And we're actually battling from a heaven-to-earth perspective. I've been seated with him. I'm not battling upward. I'm actually battling from the downward perspective. I'm looking down. I'm seated with him. I'm up with him in heavenly places. I'm not bogged down by the rules and regulations of earth, by the things that other people are caught up in. I have a new viewpoint. I have a new perspective. And it's his perspective. And it changes everything. That's the battle, friends, isn't it? Because you're going to have to go face Monday on your own. I'm not going to be there. We're not going to be there. You're going to face Monday and you're going to have the choice. You're going to have the choice, right? Are you going to look at it from a heaven perspective Or are you going to look at it from an earth perspective? So would you stand with me today? So let's do, let's do this as we close. Because I feel like you're hearing my message. I'm watching your eyes meet mine. I'm watching to see if this is like, is this getting, is this just going to be another word taught by a human for you? Or are you going to grab hold of this? Are you going to wrestle through this? Are you going to let this start to shape your perspective? And so these next moments in the service, this is where you can start to put it into practice. We're going to give an opportunity for you to come forward. We're going to be on the prayer floor together. I'm going to ask us all to just stand together as a body, as a group before Christ. And for you to press in a little bit. Say, God, I want a heaven perspective. Give me a heaven perspective to push through this week. Help me see when I'm getting caught up in the human perspective, in the human regulations, in the human piety, in infantile religious posturing. Help me see it how you see it, God. And I think that it's an opportunity where if we all stand together as a group, as a body, we can make some forward progress on this battle together. Where you don't go throughout your week feeling isolated and alone. You actually feel like you've got a group of people who are battling this with you. You feel like I'm standing there with you tomorrow. 
You feel like Jesus is standing there beside you. You feel like Amanda is standing there with you. Jason is standing there with you. Alex is standing there with you. Carolina is standing there with you. And you've got encouragement. You've got people fighting with you. You're not on your own. So would you come forward this morning? And I want us to just agree as a body. Come on in, let's get a little close, act like we love each other. (laughs) Jesus, I pray right now that you would knit us together, sinews, ligaments, knit us together. Help us stay connected. Help us feel connected. Not through laws and regulations and human commands and human teachings, but through your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that everyone in this room would start to see from the heaven perspective. As we sing together over the next few moments, as we press in together over the next few moments, I pray that you would shift their perspective. Show them that they can see how you see. Show them. Even if it's just for a few seconds, God, to start this journey. Show them how to see from heaven's perspective. Change their minds. Renew their minds, God. Renew their minds. Break off the old mindsets. Break off the old patterns, the old ways of thinking. Free them now. You're not stuck. There's more for you. There's more for us. Right now, Father. Right now, Father. Thank you for listening today. Now it's time to put your faith into action by applying this word to your life. If you'd like help taking your next steps with Jesus, contact us at revivechicago.church. 